You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Flipping Tables episode 126. I'm one of your hosts, David Lyons. And I'm Michael Edwards. And uh, I, I got to do a, a, a bit of, of covering my ass all, and also complaining before we get to any of the actual <laughs> show, which is, uh, as we record this, it is the evening of July 3rd. And if you are a U.S. listener, you know that that means that for days now, uh, morons have been exploding things in a heavily suburban area, because why wouldn't you do that? So I'm not an anti-American. I'm not even anti-fireworks. I actually love fireworks with a burning passion. But anyone who would come into my neighborhood to set off fireworks, would they either know someone who lives here or they live here. And they know that everyone who lives in this neighborhood lives in this neighborhood because it's all families like mine, young families with young children, which means stop exploding <laughs> things where my children are trying to sleep. Like, it's not just me. Every other freaking house on this block also has young children that by this time of night are in bed. So oh, you're such an old dad now. Oh, God, I hate it because... <laughs> I love fireworks. I absolutely do. And these people are making me hate them. And that's not right. <laughs> they should not be taking away something that I love. So I, 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 yeah. I bring that complaint up to say this. If throughout the episode you hear some obnoxious popping in the background, that is what it is. It is my country celebrating how great it is by lighting the sky on fire. Well, there was a good fake Johnny Ive about how it's easier to use 3D touch if you still have fingers remaining. <laughs> <laughs> so to be careful out there. <laughs> that is a good one. You know, every once in a while, he like really knocks it out of the park. Uh, um, but but you, you have a, a Comcast thing to follow up from my Comcast thing. Yeah. So it turns out that whenever they want, because they own the network, they can kind of just make your hardware obsolete. So uh, when I moved to Denver, so I'll admit, you know, up front that my cable modem is not the you know brightest crayon in the box anymore, but uh, I made sure when I bought it that it was you know Doxis 3.0 that it was like one of the best cable modems you can get because I didn't want to have to think about it ever for as long as possible. And uh, it turns out this month the the time was up and uh, Xfinity would no longer let my modem reliably connect. But this is the weird thing: it wasn't just like suddenly the internet never works. It was like sometimes it works for a few minutes at a time and then it goes yellow and then I'm like, what the hell is happening? Why <laughs> am I not online? You know, is, is my tech actually failing? Um, and so eventually, you know, you do all the, the usual tech shenanigans. You unplug things, you plug them back in, you try resets and all kinds of things. And eventually you go, you know, unless there's just some problem that I can't discover through these these steps, then there's something else going on. So I finally decide, okay, I'm going to call Comcast, which is always like this, like, all right, fine. So, so last resort, though. <laughs> You're just like, fine, okay. And we go through the steps, and 
like most tech support situations, there's a little bit of stupidity before you finally get to some, at least some sort of action that's going to fix it. And so they're like, I, you know, I told them exactly which modem I had. I made sure they knew it wasn't one of their rental ones. And uh, they're like, okay, you need to press the hardware, like firmware reset. Like we want to go factory default on this thing. And I'm like, cool, I'll go find a paperclip. Let's find this reset button. Okay, I don't see it. Uh, there's no hardware reset button on my particular modem. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the, they send me a, a Google image results link that shows the backs of modems that are different modems. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I understand what a reset button is. Mine doesn't have one. And then, so I find out that you have to go in through the, the router, like the 192.168 nonsense. And uh, there's actually a software button to do the factory reset, but there's no hardware one. That doesn't work, so it was just a tire wild goose chase of nothing. Um, and then, like, you know, an hour into this chat session, the agent is like, oh, BT dubs, I just found out yet your modem's EOL, end of life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, isn't that the first thing you check when someone's having a modem problem and they tell you what modem they have? But Apparently not. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, and, you know, I'm like, you know, at first I'm like being a little cranky. I'm like, how recently was it EOL? Because my internet was fine last month. <laughs> um, but then I'm like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, the moral of the story is I, I realize my modem's from 2011. Even though it's Doxis 3, there's probably tons of other advancements to how modems work. And one of the ones I was reading about while I was like trying to justify and not feel awful that I have to drop 100 bucks on a new modem is... Uh, Apparently, newer modems do a lot better with like basically grabbing all these different channels at once and figuring out which one is the least congested or spreading out the load across them. And so I, I had heard of Wi-Fi routers that did that, but I had never, I didn't know, but it makes sense that cable modems would do that. So, so that's my story. Yeah, and uh, I, I have unlimited respect for you trying to spin that so positively. <laughs> but I am curious, uh, do you happen to know the, the model number off the top of your head? Of my old one or my new one? The, the old one. Uh, it was a Surfboard 6120. So that would be Motorola? Yeah, but now it's Eris, but they, they took over the Surfboard brand. Uh, I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out if that model is still listed on their official supported page, because that would be funny. It's not. It's ELL. But nope, it's totally on here. Oh, As that's in... that's amazing. <laughs> End of life? No. Oh, my God. I'm so putting a screenshot of this in the show notes. It's not End of Life on their website? <laughs> not according to their website. Uh, oh, that's just fantastic. Well, my, my, my version of acceptance of reality is five years is a good run for almost any kind of technology. It is. And you will probably, for the, the reasons you mentioned and, and other reasons neither of us understand because we're not networking people, you will probably get you know great performance and hopefully a good shelf life out of this new modem. But it's always frustrating when someone outside of like your immediate concern field, like your spouse and your children basically spends your money. <laughs> yeah. It's like don't don't just come to me and be like, "Oh, hey, your modem's end of life. You have to buy a new modem now." And it's like, "Wait, we didn't discuss this. I didn't yeah. decide that." And it's not like Xfinity got any money from me from this this situation, but I wonder if they get money in general for the situation. But um I'm willing to to you know, Occam's razor this and say they update their network 
Um, sometimes they have to, right? <laughs> Presumably. And, um, eventually that's going to mean old stuff won't be compatible anymore most of the time. Yeah. I mean, in a perfect world, they would be updating their stuff and that would require new hardware. But uh, I'd love to know what <laughs> modem they give out when you you rent it through them, because I guarantee you it's nothing cutting edge. Yeah. And, you know, to be fair, maybe it's Motorola's fault. Maybe there's firmware updates they could have been providing and they're just like, nah, that's our old one. Man, you're just like so opt. I, I, you're, <laughs> you're so positive, man. It's great. It's a happier way to live. You get ripped <laughs> off all the time, but it's a happier way to live. <laughs> um, and you also have some uh, crazy standing desk follow-up. Yeah, so we have a two-bedroom place, and we're moving to Ohio, and um, you kind of have like a almost like a, uh, what do they call it when you're, you uh, not refactor your hard drive, refor- not reform oh, it. Uh, uh, oh, crap. <laughs> well, basically, yeah, when, when you move all the colored blocks around so that yeah. all the colors are together. Why are we both unable to come up with what that is? Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, doesn't matter. So basically, we have a ton of stuff that usually sits in closets. Defrag, that, defrag, yeah. defrag, defrag. It's well, defrag. <laughs> there's basically our apartment is a bunch is a hard disk right now of physical objects, and we have to smartly uh, arrange them for efficiency so that we can look through everything, so we don't move anything to Ohio that can just be donated or trashed or whatever. And uh, part of this has led to some improvisational uh, innovation in standing desks. So, um, you know, I'm looking around like, all right, under the table's filled, and it's annoying to try to push my chair in. Well, what if I didn't need the chair? So I'll put six more boxes on top, and now I've got a standing desk. And if I want to sit down, I've got a laptop. So I'm going to go somewhere <laughs> else when I want to sit down. And, I don't know, it's kind of fun. I'll, I'll share a picture of it. It's just, you know, boxes. But... For several years, my, you know, giant, ironic air quotes, standing desks were paper boxes, books that were in my office that no one wanted, but they refused to throw away. Like I, I used piles of garbage as standing desks for a long time. And then for a while after that, I actually had like a, uh, like a cheap, like Ikea shoe rack, basically (laughs) that's meant so you can like put shoes underneath and on top. And I like had my keyboard on that. So I'm I'm all for the pile of garbage standing desk. I think it's a great way to to try it out. Now, yeah. when you get to Ohio, you'll know if you should invest money. Oh, I, we're totally doing that. Um, in in an actual like motorized one, and um, the you know the obvious downside to random box standing desk is that you can't sit down when you want to without a tremendous amount of effort. <laughs> yes. um, but you know, there's other perks like the integrated power and. Just having one flat surface that I can draw on and do other things. Um, I'm kind of insanely excited to join the standing desk master race eventually. Yeah, the, the, the uppy-downy ones are the best because standing still for eight straight hours is also bad. Right. So, yeah, the, the being able to easily switch is, is where it's at. So, And you're are you looking at doing the IKEA one? No, there's a, I forget the name of the company. I sent you a link. There's a, a company that'll make them for like anywhere from five to 700 with a couple different finishes, but they're kind of in that like budget category, but they, they have just enough of the perks. They have integrated power um, and they have, you know, a really nice finish that I prefer over just like a standard white or black thing. And uh, we're going to go with that. Let me, I'm going to look up the link while we continue. Yeah, I actually have this this UX thing I wanted to follow up on while you do live research. It's standdesk.co. That 
that's pretty on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So um, what's this thing you're talking about? So uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you or not. So I wanted to make sure since we talked about UX, I, I can't believe I forgot this as a, a an item in my UX discussion with you. Uh, I, for the first time a couple weeks ago, saw an elevator where all of the buttons, like the buttons to pick the floor you're going to, are on the outside of the elevator, like in the hallway with all the elevator doors. And when you go into the elevator, there are no buttons except like emergency and hold door. Like that's it. Not even like a lobby button, like the only one or something? No, not a single floor <laughs> You got to get out. <laughs> yeah, you have to get out. And when I first went to get on the elevator, because I was going up to an office that I was visiting, I was like, wait what and then i like leaned back out into the hallway and i saw these little touch panels in between the banks of elevators i was like this is dumb this is the dumbest thing ever what was wrong with the way elevators work and then because i i had to go back to that office multiple days and like you know we left to go to lunch and then we came back so i was like on and off the elevators many many times in a few days i i saw them get used and i realized that the benefit of the buttons being on the outside is when you're in a building that it's because it's a very tall, it's like a 30 story building. So, you know, tons of people going up and down all the time. It makes the elevators hyper efficient because when you summon it, you also tell it where you're going. <laughs> so it can actually, instead of just saying, Oh, someone on the fourth floor asked for me, it can say someone on the fourth floor who's going to the sixth right. floor asked for me. Somebody on the fourth floor who's going to the lobby asked for me. So I'll have this other elevator get the lobby person and I'll have this elevator get the sixth floor person. Like every, basically you pushed a button and the elevator was there in like five seconds. Like, yeah. No matter what time of day it was, no matter how busy it was, it was super, super fast. It was super efficient. And I I was like totally converted. I was like, all elevators should be like this from now on. <laughs> Is this something you, you had ever seen before? No, I've never seen this. But uh, like, it's true. You, you wouldn't go up to an elevator and not know where you want to go until you're inside it. It's not like you're, you're going in and being like, which floor do I want? Um you can presumably like there's nothing about stepping into an elevator that gives you more information about where you're going. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense that the buttons can be outside. And like you said, the, the single action of saying, Hey, I need an elevator and Hey, I want to go here can be one action instead of two. That is, uh, that is kind of astounding that we don't have that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, and uh, you know, I, I kind of geeked out over it. So I was like, Oh my God, have you guys ever seen elevators like this? This is amazing. And, you know, people who, <laughs> some of them who had worked in like large office buildings before were like, oh yeah, this is, this has been around for a while. This is becoming more normal, especially in new construction. And then other people who've always worked in smaller office buildings or not ever worked in an office building like myself, I would share this with them and they were like, that's amazing. We should totally <laughs> do that everywhere. But I did notice that most people have, the same reaction, whether they're seeing it or hearing about it, which was the first time they were like buttons on the outside. That's stupid because it's it's just so contrary to the way we're used to using an elevator. And some you know brilliant person or, or group of people had to figure out like, no, nah, it'll be way faster. Yeah. Well, I also wonder if the the reason it wasn't this way before is because they had to put all the smarts and intelligence on the elevator itself. And to have buttons on the floor was just extra wiring. Like now you got to wire stuff in the drywall outside the elevator for every single floor. Whereas it's cheaper to just say, hey, the elevator gets the buttons and those are the only buttons and nothing has to talk anywhere else. 
Well, and the buttons in the elevator is, is, has to be a holdover from the guy in a jacket with a lever yeah. who's like making the, the elevator car actually go up and down. So and he probably has a mustache and works as an auctioneer too. Exactly. That, the very <laughs> same guy. But I'm, yeah. I'm picturing a vest. He's got like a vest on. Oh, I was thinking like one of those button down, like, uh, like, uh, bellboy jackets. Oh, I guess that's right. Yeah. And the little hat. Yeah, little little pillbox hat. The no. guy that makes the the flexible <laughs> straw and Hudsucker proxy. Have you seen that movie? I still haven't. It's on uh, my list. I'm it's, sorry. It's, he calls it the Buzz Sucker. <laughs> That's anyway. not awkward at all. <laughs> um, but you now now we can actually get into the show proper. Uh, you have decided to take back control of your life. So tell me why you're doing this. <laughs> why? Um, <laughs> Because I just want to own my own email address. I already I have my domain, pseudomichael.com. Why not have my email address be there? Though, when your name is in your domain, isn't it a little like bit of an awkward moment of like, is the before the at also have my name? And so, yeah, I, like, I, I struggle with that as well. Because at least you go by your last name. So you could be David at Lions and Beta, and that's not as weird. But it's like Michael at pseudomichael, <laughs> Mike at pseudomichael, and that's what I went with. But, I, you know, I also have hi and hello for like more. I'm not going to make business cards, but if I did, I would I could go with one of those um, types of things. Um, well, but surely yeah. you'll set up the catch-all. So really, no matter what they send it to. Oh yeah, it, yeah. I mean that's that is set up. So any you know fart face at pseudomichael.com will show up in my inbox, which is now the only place <laughs> I will email you. Um, yeah, I decided to you know I should own this and. Um, the nice thing these days, it's actually probably been this way as long as there's been email is, um, your client and your email address can be completely independent choices. So I can keep using the Gmail interface or the inbox interface or almost any other email client and have my own name be completely independent. So this was partly to really primarily to own my name, but I'm taking it as an excuse to try to live outside of the, the Google email universe and uh, it's this isn't like some kind of you know fanatical decision or you know oh privacy is the only thing that matters now or something, <laughs> um, but I'm open to having more privacy. But um, o- this isn't open open to privacy. You're, you're <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that was some good choices of words. <laughs> but you know, it, I, I don't know. There's not much more profound to say about it. I just wanted to have my own name. Um, but I I'm also just experimenting. So I'm. Um, I do like the native iOS mail app on its own. Like it's the UI is fine. It has swipes it, um, and so forth. It just plays so terribly with Gmail. Um, and also doesn't play that well with, uh, exchange mainly like you get calendar invites. You've already accepted on the web and you're like, uh, <laughs> this is already settled. Um, but since <laughs> I don't need any of that stuff for a non work email, um, I prefer the the native sauce, and the, one of the main things, is, and you know, this may be a result of Apple not letting third party email apps be as good as they could be. Um, but you know, every app can do background updates, but not. It seems like other mail clients are like they don't get to do UI updates, and so you open the app and you see your inbox from twelve hours ago, and then it's like, oh, hang on a second, here's what's actually here, and I hate that first few seconds, and so. It seems like the native app, whether it's by secret sauce they're not sharing or whatever, um, it shows the true current state all, always. And so I really like that. Yeah, which I, I find it a little, um, 
I'm gonna go with surprising. I find that a little surprising that that's actually a feature that's like high on your de- <laughs> delight list, just because you don't really like to be bothered by stuff like email. <laughs> no, my email is already insanely streamlined. I've you know I've had the discipline of unsubscribing for years, and uh, now when I get an email, it's like 99.9% a real email. So I don't mind having the notification level. Hi, like email can pop up, it can make a noise, it can show a banner. Because I'm not, it's not like coupons, 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 like every other second. <laughs> hey, did you know that you <laughs> shopped at the store once 25 years ago? And we would love to get your business yeah. back. Speaking of uh, newsletters, actually, did, did changing your email address like affect those in any significant way? Uh, Yeah. So, you know, you do something like this and one of the bits of busy work is going to every service on earth and changing your email address with them. And a lot of companies have decided that updating your email address means sign me back up to everything you want to email me. And that is not the conclusion I think they should make. And I was very, very unhappy to start getting (laughs) some more spam again. I'm I'm glad that you noticed this pattern because I, you know, not that long ago, I went from my Gmail address to the, the uh, you know, personal domain address I use now, and I also noticed an uptick in spam, but I didn't associate those two events. So <laughs> yeah. thank you for, for making me not feel like a crazy person. <laughs> well, there's even companies from like forever ago, like Edmodo. <laughs> Have you ever heard of Edmodo? Isn't that like an alternative LMS? It was, it's not, maybe they made it more LMS like, but it started off as like a social network for school. Oh, like every yeah. class can have its own, you know, microblogging stream and whatever. It's like, you know, 2008 when this is all happening. Um, so I'm getting emails from Edmodo and um, nobody wants that. Actually, that one, I, did, I didn't go in and change my email address because who cares about Edmodo? So that one was just probably <laughs> the fact that... Legit spam. It's probably just that Gmail is better at spam blocking. So I got that through. <laughs> but that, that was a legit newsletter that I probably was still receiving. Um, it, it wasn't like they contacted me through apropos of nothing. I, I had accounts, you know, eight years ago with them. And so <laughs> unsubscribe, done. Um <laughs> I don't know what what else is there to say about about email. This is kind of like welcome to the modern world, Mike. <laughs> you have an email address. Well, I'm mostly interested in because I when you told me you were thinking about taking your you know taking back control of your life, I was like, <laughs> oh, that that makes perfect sense. And then you started talking about all the different services and email clients you were trying, and that's when I had the 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 wash over of reality that splashed down on me. And I was like, Oh my God, I never even considered using a client besides Gmail. Like (laughs) when when I switched from my, my Gmail to my, my, you know, personal domain address, the first thing I did was set it up to just pipe it directly into Gmail and to where I could also send out from, you know, the Gmail interface. Like that's, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I like to think of myself as someone who enjoys experimenting with technology, and I was a little shocked at how foregone that conclusion was. Like, I completely <laughs> turned my nose up at all other possible options. And you've you've tried at least, what, a, a couple of apps and a service or two, right? Yeah, I've been in Spark for a while, and I'm basically moving on from Spark, even though it, it has some neat features. Um, my, my beef is not with the, any of Google's web clients. Their web clients are, you know, this is their bread and butter. Their web clients are amazing. And, uh, you know, there's a chance I'll end up going back to it after I uh, go off on my little journey. Um, but 
It's the native clients, the, the iOS apps. I just don't, I don't know. They, there's paper cuts. So, um, and you know, the main one was that UI refresh type thing of just like, if I have the apps open, they respond instantly. So if I like archive a message on, uh, my, my web client, then, you know, the phone shows it disappearing like instantly, but it's, it's the launching it later. It's just like got a hangover and it won't start as fast as it should. Yeah, the mobile app experience, I haven't noticed this refresh issue that I feel like you have. And I think it's because with my work Gmail, right, you know, like we use Google Apps for work at, at yeah. my job, that seems to update pretty darn fast. Um, and then my personal one, if there is a delay, I'm kind of like, eh, because I kind of don't want to <laughs> be bothered by email most of the time. Like my personal email uh notifications and stuff are turned pretty far down i'm using inbox so it's already picky about what it's going to notify me of anyway so there may be a delay and i just either don't care or am unknowingly enjoying it (laughs) my beef with the inbox app which is there's a lot of good things about it is can i have a trash and an archive button why do i have to pick one (laughs) yeah you've been against that since they introduced that app I use both all the time. I delete mercilessly, and then I archive stuff. I don't do only one. I don't want to keep everything. Yeah, it's, so. it's, it's tyranny of the default, man. They want you to keep <laughs> every single email. Yeah, and the long press is there, and it works, but I'm just like, no. <laughs> just let me <laughs> immediately get rid of it. No delay. Yeah. Um, but, you no. know, I, I'd want to stress that I have not made a conclusion. I'm just kind of trying stuff. I'm in a season of trying, and so... We'll see where I end up. Do you think if there's a chance you end up with, you know, Inbox or Gmail's app, their you know, their mobile app and their web app as the client you primarily use, you you're still gonna stick with owning your address, right? Yeah, that's that's a conclusion. I'm gonna own my address. Okay. Cause uh I feel like the although those things are not directly linked, there's always a chance that some you know, because I mean, like there was Dropbox and 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 uh, what was it the the bird one? There was like a bird, not Thunderbird, uh, but there was there was some like bird. Was it Sparrow? Was that it? Was that the one Dropbox? Harvey bought? Birdman. Harvey email. Birdman. Yeah, there's Harvey Birdman email client. But you know, there's there's clients that have a lot of clients that have come out, but there hasn't really been a contender to Gmail as like a web email service, like. Outlook.com, they tried, Microsoft tried to reboot that and make it like it's pretty cool, good, but it's cool not and, as good. But it's it's not cool and hip. Like, no. It's, it, it may be a perfectly serviceable web app, but that's not enough. You know, we do everything that guy does is not enough to lure <laughs> someone out of the restaurant they're already in and eating a hamburger at to come buy your hamburger. Like, it, it's just, it's the, the inertia is too strong for such a yeah. pathetic kind of like, hey, switch, we're the same, yeah. right? So- I mean, Outlook, the web client is, I use it often for my work because we're not a Google Apps situation, unfortunately. Um, and I use it a lot because the the Mac client, is it's gotten better, but it's still got some serious problems. And uh, there's lots of, and this is probably up to my workplace, you know, their implementation being insane. Um, there's just like, signature handoffs and handshakes and like it's popping up with like this new server once you know certificate blah 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 and i'm just like it's email just let me sign in this is my username and password why is this complicated (laughs) (laughs) 
And so that, I that, use the. To be fair, that does sound like your your local implementation, but this is a problem for Microsoft, right? Is because yeah. when you think of Outlook, that's the experience you think it of. It really is. And they still have the you pasted a link, you press return, and you start typing, and it's underlining things. Um, I hate oh. that. Well, I always know when I get an email from someone who uses Outlook because at the end of a sentence, there's an arbitrary capital J. <laughs> for the smiley face. For the, the smiley face. be a letter. I'm just like, you know, oh, winky face, J. J, 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 J. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm sure someone has, has sussed out why that happens, but I kind of like the mystery. Uh-huh. So my 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 question though, because you know we can't talk about Microsoft without crapping on them, <laughs> is uh, do you think anyone will ever make it? Yeah, not ever. Do you think w- in the near future there's a chance that you know uh, com will come out and their email what? will be? <laughs> it's a strong bad reference. Okay. <laughs> Gosh. Do you, you know some you know some widget.com email comes out and on day one it's the greatest email service you've ever seen but on day one they don't ship with a vanity address like is that a thing that is likely to happen again the way it happened with uh, Gmail where everyone just abandoned Yahoo and Hotmail <laughs> like it was a bad habit well I think Gmail was remarkable at the time because they were entering a market that had all sorts of crazy limitations that people may not have realized were as annoying as they had to be. Um, and so when, when Gmail gave you one gigabyte right off the bat, that was just like mind blowing. Like, so I don't have to go and delete half my email every month. Um, and so that, like that situation doesn't exist anymore. You know, every email service you want will give you like 10 or 15 gigs just right off the bat. And unless you're Apple, then you give them five gigs and then, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it's a different world. And, um, I think email will, will not be disrupted by a new email. Um, it'll probably, you know, suffer from all these proprietary chat platforms that everyone will, will keep using and stickers and all this crap that's happening. Um, but I don't see a new Gmail happening. It's kind of like, it feels kind of mature. Like we've kind of run its course on how good you can make email. And yeah, every year some new startups like the new way to have perfect Zen with your inbox. But I think all that fad stuff is kind of fizzling out. Don't you think so? I do. I, I think that's a really good assessment. And I also think that the, I want to use my own email address with your service would be considered like kind of table stakes at this point. Absolutely. So if you know if widget.com email comes along and you're like, oh cool, I'm gonna connect, you know, Mike at pseudomichael.com to that, and then they say, Oh, you can't, then you're gonna just be like, Well, I guess I'm not gonna use this service. Your UI can't be that good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, and and email is one of those uh what's the right term for it? Is it disintermediated? Or distributed, disaggregated, decentralized, decentralized. Uh, like nobody owns. It's defragmented. <laughs> it's defragmented email. Nobody owns your email, man. Like you can't own an email. <laughs> so if somebody comes along with a super proprietary service and says, "Oh, the, our emails can only talk to you know," it's like AOL.com all over again. Like our email can only talk to our email. That's well, that's what Facebook tried and it didn't well, work. Well, and it's not. It's arguably not email. It's just a messaging service. Yeah. 
So yeah, I, I don't. I think you I might know. be right. I think, I think MySpace banners are coming back. <laughs> They're making a comeback. <laughs> I, that's not the thing. I think you're right about. I think. <laughs> I think you might be right that email as it was when Gmail stepped in and crapped all over everybody else's party, like that. That time may be done. Yeah, I mean, you were dealing with like ten and hundred megabyte services. Um, I think Hotmail was like fifty megabytes or something. And you can run through that so fast. Well, and especially even in two thousand five. Yeah, once you see them side by side, that's the problem. Because I don't remember a single time as a young man ever being like, "Oh, my Hotmail inbox is filling up." But then when I got a Gmail address, and I was like, "Oh, I I basically have unlimited space. I have <laughs> yeah. I have functionally unlimited space." And then I would go look at my Hotmail address, which you know I still maintained for years afterwards. And I'd be like, oh, it's there's there's only fifty megs, but this one has like a thousand <laughs> megs. Like you just you can't you know once that seal is broken, it's broken forever. Well, and before mobile devices were good, and Dropbox was a thing, and you know all this this cloud syncing was possible. Emailing yourself stuff was one of the easiest ways to move stuff, and so Gmail was basically enabling that en masse. That's true. And I wonder, it seems like emails have always had a, a relatively small size limit on attachments. Do you 20 think megs? A, yeah, I think it's, it's 20 or 25, but do you think that's a limitation of email as a protocol, or is that a limitation of email clients? Because they were like, no, we're not going to let somebody send you a 500 <laughs> meg file. I don't know. I mean, it, it's email as a protocol is pretty old, so it's it's not unbelievable that they weren't thinking yeah. like, yeah, people will send gigabyte logic files around to each other. Yeah. When I mean, we're turning this into an email episode, but that's fine. <laughs> um, you know, email's been around what thirty plus years easily. Oh and, yeah, uh, all, it took, all of that took over ten years before you know maybe even fifteen or twenty to count as completely mainstream as like a an indispensable tool at the heart of business and you know, civilian, civilian life. And so when we, we look at these new tech, like, ah, oh, stickers and VR and all this stuff. And you're like, that's going to take over. It's like, so in 10 years, maybe, <laughs> um, unless you have a compelling reason that the next thing is going to take over faster, but it really does take like a generation to move on to new paradigms. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I really would love to see us get out of the business of email being the primary communication because it's like at good the expense of something, of, of, something yeah, open. everything else <laughs> no eh, okay I mean, all that, the all the new dogs in the race are proprietary pretty that, much no that that's fair and i would hate to see the openness go away but there are so many social norms around email that are dumb and terrible and i would love to see all of that go away you like, mean like the letter writing stuff, like saying hello and goodbye? Yeah, huge openings and closings, signature blocks, people who attach like gifts in their signature block so every single email <laughs> looks like it has an attachment. I'm like, you're a bad oh, person. I really hate that because <laughs> I, I limit by attachments a lot. And it's like your little rainbow, the more you know star with your name does not need to go in every email. Exactly, right? Or people who attach uh, uh, like a whole... Um, like document, like I've gotten emails from businesses where every single signature block has like a white paper in it. I'm like, don't, don't, <laughs> d don't, 
don't do this. Don't do this to me, man. <laughs> By the way, according to my my uh, rapid fire googling, nineteen seventy two is is when email is is credited as as becoming okay. a thing. So, so it's forty four. Yeah, pretty damn old. And, but it uh, was it wasn't until mid nineties where you could start counting on most people having it. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, if you worked entirely in academia only with other computer scientists, you could probably rely on them to have well, an email in the address, 80s, but yeah. Yeah, in the in the eighties, but no. I don't think you could go up to a rando and be like, Hey, what's your email address? <laughs> Until way later. Especially not for the older set. I mean, there were people in their their sixties and seventies who just missed this yeah. communication platform entirely. And then we're probably convinced by their younger children, like you should get a cell phone because that's a more reliable, more portable form of communication. So those people probably missed email entirely, but text. Yeah. Which is a little crazy to think about. So Apple and Skype. I I wrote Skype, but we mean Spotify. Oh my God, you did. And I'm just (laughs) exhausted. That's not even... What would Apple and Skype even fight about? Like, um, I don't know. <laughs> multi-person video chat, FaceTime. Yeah, I wish Apple would come out with super ultra-reliable distributed FaceTime because Skype has been an utter bitch lately. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's still the best thing there is. Apple and Spotify are having a little tiff over uh, their streaming services. And, and you know it got serious enough because Apple legal publicly responded yeah that that's when you know the the s has really hit the fan um but i i know only the fringe details of this so can you make before i start flipping out all over it can you make sure i'm up to speed (laughs) yeah so the the basic thing is that spotify is raising a public stink about apple's 30 percent cut on stuff that sells through the app store um so, you know, if you sell an app, Apple takes 30%, you get 70%. If you sell a subscription that they sign up in the app, they want 30% of that too. Um, you know, it's kind of this flat rate rule that's been there ever since the App Store existed in every form of any kind of purchasing. Um, to go along with it, though, um, Apple has rules that prevent you from, you know, really easily circumventing it. So you might have a subscription app and you just put a button that says, hey, go to Safari and sign up here. Um, they don't want you to do that, because then no app would ever use the in-app subscription, <laughs> because who wants to lose 30%? And so that's Spotify's complaint. Um, now, there's other companies that have complained about this. This is not a new thing. Um, Amazon, very famously, um, doesn't sell anything through their apps. Um, they, they do with the Amazon app, because there's a loophole where if you're selling physical products, Apple won't take a cut. You can sell that in app. That's oh, I mean, I get that, but that does kind of shine a light on the weirdness of like, oh, but if it's ones and zeros, we get some of that sweet money. <laughs> um, so you know, playing into this, Apple recently announced, and Google actually did too, that um, for subscriptions, uh, the split will go down to eighty-five fifteen. So they'll only take a fifteen percent cut. Um, in Apple's case, that's after a year, so you have to have a loyal customer before you get the better split. Um, so Spotify didn't take Amazon's route. So if you have Comixology or um, Kindle or the, uh, the Audible, um, any of those apps, um, 
Amazon's apps are just weirdly, mysteriously quiet. They don't mention that you can buy things because they're not allowed to. And they don't want to give up 30% because Amazon's a low margin business and they can't do that. Um, and so they're just apps you sign into and you can see stuff you've already bought. Uh, already bought. Um, what Spotify did is they shipped an update that said, hey, what's your email address? And then person puts in their email address and then they get an email that says, sign up here. And uh, oh, Apple said, "That's tricksy. That's clever." <laughs> and Apple said, "We see right through that. You're just, yeah, you added one more hop, but you're you're just circumventing our rule, so we're going to reject that update." And then Spotify went to the press and said, "See, isn't Apple completely evil? Um, why are they doing this to us? They're being anti-competitive, blah blah blah." And then Apple said, "We're being fair. We treat everyone the same. This rule's been around for seven years. Uh, what are you complaining about?" And so that's the don't, situation. Don't you think Apple could come back and say, like, hey, when someone signs up for Apple Music, we take 100% of that cut. So really, you're getting an awesome <laughs> deal. No, they pay themselves 30%, and then they give the, themselves 70%. <laughs> but it's two distinct <laughs> transactions. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I, I have two main reactions, and I, I'm interested in yours, too. But my first one is... This is standard business. This is we built a platform, we made something people wanted to use, and we provided all this value, we maintain it, we make sure people still love using iPhones, and our customers are some of the highest paying, most willing to part with their money customers on earth. And so if you want access to them, of course you're going to pay us a cut because we built this. Um, and that's like that's the department store. Like, hey, we made a mall, we made Home Depot, and people want to come here and buy things. If you want to be on our shelves, yeah, there's a tax. That's just, you know, we, we built this attention-gathering machine, and you want in. That's fine. Um, you're going to pay. And I, it's hard for me to sympathize with... Uh, no, you have to let me pay, you know, play for free. You know, Walmart has to let me sell my stuff. I can install my own cashier next to their registers. <laughs> and, or I can just put a sign up on the shelf that says, hey, come out to the parking lot. I'll sell you it there. Um, <laughs> why, why would Walmart, you know, I know Walmart's not the most highly regarded business. They're very cutthroat and have other problematic things. But why should we expect Walmart to allow that? And so that's kind of my, my first reaction. But then yeah, the other part it, of me is like... Well, I think... So the the money thing, before you get to the step two there, uh, the money thing is interesting because there's probably a fair argument to be made that 30% is steep. Like that's, you know, for the indie developer that's trying to make an app or for a company that's trying to like, you know, be competitive on price and drive down their prices so they have low margins. Like 30% is a lot of your money to give up, but... Because in that instance, the customer is not the customer. The customer is the business, right? So that's like Apple doing business with the customer. When you look at it that way, it's like, yeah, we charge a lot for our products because they're worth it. Just like mm -hmm. we charge more for our laptops with the Apple tax because consumers will pay it. And if you want to be on our platform, this is what it costs. That doesn't mean it's necessarily like right or fair, but if they had <laughs> argued... 30% is too much. It should be 15 from the word go, or it should be 20 from the word go, or five from the word go, or whatever they thought was a fair amount. That is a very, very different conversation than we deserve to get access to your customers for free, because yeah. that's just a harder sell, man. 
It really is. And I mean, to be clear, Spotify can still sell subscriptions outside the App Store. It's not like Apple's reaching out of their store and saying, you can't sell over there. Um, It's just uh, you can't hijack inside the app experience on our platform to just redirect people outside. And that's problematic. I get that that's not cut and dry. That's kind of a gray area of like, ooh, um, why can't people implement alternatives? Um, but that's this is what they set up. And, you know, I'm, I'm open to the general business critique of, you know, I really sympathize with Spotify and the fact that it sucks to play with a popular closed platform because it's pay or leave. Um, there's really no other options unless you can convince you know, the public and the government that this is anti-competitive. And I'm not sure it is. Um, it sucks, but is it anti-competitive? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm never totally clear on how some of these rulings shake out because if they made a thing and there are alternatives in the marketplace, by which I mean Spotify can say, you know what, 30% is too steep. We're not going to do business on the iPhone. We're just going to do business on Android phones and Windows phones and Blackberries or whatever. And then, try to get iOS users to sign up elsewhere, just not in the app. Yeah, which, I mean, you could argue, based on your description of the Amazon apps, they have done, right? They have said, right. we will I don't you- think they're happy, but they, they've done it. <laughs> right, but that's what I mean. Is, is there, There's probably a pretty good argument to be made that Apple's move wouldn't really be anti-competitive in this case because there is competition, right? They yeah. can just... Can they say, so here's a question, can they say in the app anything about, like, sign up through our website? Or, no. Or the, the, so they're not even allowed to mention it? Nope, cannot mention it. Yeah, so then that's... That's yeah. why the Amazon apps are really weird if you don't know that you have to go to the website. They're just like, hey, want to sign in? Okay, you have zero items. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> for coming. like... <laughs> And I mean, I think people have figured it out, like, oh, I just go to the website and buy your Kindle app. But, you know, and that's a case where um, Apple's saying, hey, our in-app experience is a premium. If you want to give your customers the best experience, you got to give us a cut. And that that sucks, but it's also their privilege as the platform owner. Um, Google allows apps to have alternative payment solutions. And so it's sort of like, I think it's awesome that Google is providing an alternative vision of what an open platform and how it can work. Um, but I don't think that means that's the only thing a company is allowed to do. I think Apple has every right to do it this way. And then the market can decide, uh, no, we're not going to support that. Screw you, Apple. But so far, it's, it's this sort of unfortunate fallout of their phones are pretty dang good. People like using them. So therefore, their rules are going to fly because people will stick around. Well, and I'm sure Apple would argue that because the purchasing experience from app to app is uniform and because we take this money, it allows us to reinvest in our platform and in our R&D and stuff like this is how right. we made this thing so great. So, I mean, it's I I think <laughs> well, this, this is the sucky thing, right? Like we agree that it's unfortunate the way things are, but there's a pretty solid argument to be made for it. Well, and like one of the anecdotes that has come up is canceling Spotify currently um, takes you through at least three different web pages, a survey, and they I think they even make you like hit play on a song or something and be like, don't you feel bad for leaving? Here's some good music. Oh, my God. And that 
is kind of indefensible to me. If I want to cancel, just let me freaking cancel. Um, well, both of don't these get things in my can way. be terrible. They can. They, no, they, it's true. They get to be terrible but together. That's one of the things that you know. If if I imagine a future where I'm going to be subscribed to lots of software, if if this is going to take off as a, a business arrangement, um, I like the benefits of Apple's approach because I can go to one place, I can cancel, and that company can't do any Comcast level shenanigans with charging me anyway or anything like. That's where Apple's a benevolent middleman, and you're just like, uh, you're costing these companies more to run their products on your platform, but at least I benefit. Yeah, now I'm, 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 I think we're we're seeing eye to eye on this. What I do find fascinating, and and Spotify may share these numbers, they may not. So you know, you've been following the story more closely. Let me know if they revealed any of this. Is if Spotify is making a big stink about this, that makes me suspicious that most of their new customers are coming from mobile. And so they see this as like a threat because on the web, they completely control the web experience in the desktop app that they make. They completely control that because it's going on to an open general purpose computing platform. But on iOS devices, they don't own the platform. They don't own the experience. And it's not an open general purpose computing platform. So if more and more and more customers are signing up through the mobile app, as their their primary method of use of Spotify, or worse, their only method of use of Spotify, like maybe that's why they're being aggressive on something that definitely did not catch them by surprise. Well, my guess is Spotify has such a low margin business model that 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 cut is just devastating to the way they run their business. And the question is, is Apple responsible for other people's business models not working? Um, I mean, I think on a huge level, it'd be a problem if every app developer was unsustainable. I think they have to address that. But to have one off and be like, oh, so sorry, it didn't work out for you, Spotify. Um, <laughs> so there's some interesting juicy gossip here. In Apple's official response, they revealed how many downloads Spotify has gotten through the App Store. Um, so let me read this. I'm, they said, I'm surprised that it's in the agreement that that's information they can release. <laughs> no, no, I'm not surprised. I'm kind of surprised they did it, though. Well, they, they did it to argue that Spotify has benefited enormously from the App Store, and so basically quit your complaining. Um, they're saying, there, so here's a quote, there can be no doubt that Spotify has benefited enormously from its association with Apple's App Store. Since joining in 2009... Apple's platform has provided you with over 160 million downloads of your app, resulting in hundreds of millions of dollars in incremental revenue. That's why we find it troubling you're asking for exemptions to the rules we apply to all developers, blah, 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 blah. So they're basically like, hey, you've been insanely successful because of us, so stop your bitching. Now that's, yeah, this is tough because this is almost like a, and it doesn't uh, have value. Like, hey, our platform is so good and full of the right kinds of customers for your product that, of course, we're going to charge you for access to them because we provided value to your business. Well, th- doesn't this totally sound like a, you know, as long as you live under my house or under my roof, you'll uh, live by my rules, like kind of an argument? Because Spotify yes. has every right to, 
<laughs> Spotify has every right to say, like, well, we don't want to live by your rules, so we're not going to live in your house. And Apple's like, go ahead. Here is literally a <laughs> spreadsheet outlining all of the benefits of living in this house. <laughs> now, if you really want to go, get the hell out. And yeah. I mean, Apple will also lose revenue if Spotify left or if people weren't subscribing directly through the iOS app, but they'll survive. It, Spotify is, yeah, will die. Is, is Apple really <laughs> is Apple really hurting for money right now? No. <laughs> um, but I mean, I bet it, it, the anti-competitive stuff is a little gray, but I, I think the even though physical analogies are dangerous, um, the department store analogies like really holds up pretty well as far as I can tell. And so unless you're going to find a way to say uh, businesses that build brick and mortar department stores can't charge companies for access to their shelves, then why can't Apple do that for their app store? Yeah, I I agree with both of those things. The physical metaphors are often shaky, but this one seems pretty solid. And I I wish they had used their might to argue for not we shouldn't pay you. You deserve to be paid. <laughs> Obviously, you're providing a service. We just are getting gouged over here. Like you by charging 30%, you are making it impossible for a low margin business to exist on your platform please try and work with us here but that's right. not what they did they came back and they were like Mah! and apple was <laughs> like dude don't we have the whole spreadsheet <laughs> and maybe pay artists more well i guess they can't afford to do it um it's oh, really, i really think spotify oh, do you, is do you think that's going to be the next round of this which is going to be like well we would totally pay artists more but apple is just gouging us well, there's an easy answer is no, the record labels are gouging them <laughs> and they're not paying artists well. And so um, don't bring that illness over here and try to say that we're the ones with leprosy. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't come over here with your arms all hanging off at the shoulder. It really is though. Like, I think Apple has to care if every business is unsustainable with their terms, then they got to fix it. And I do think the subscription level stuff, there's a lot of low margin businesses you know, whether it's publications or some other things that 30% margin is just destructive. Like you just can't survive given 30% away. Um, but if, as long as the majority of business models still work, does Apple have to care about one off? Sorry, your business didn't work. Uh, God, I wish I had an MBA right now. Cause there, <laughs> there's part of me that wants to make an argument of, what would you know what counts as the majority of business models for one and for another thing is it reasonable or a good idea for apple to basically indirectly decide how other companies get to run their business because right you, you could there's probably another good physical world argument to be made here which is like say i want to build a department store so before I even get to decide who's going to have shelf space, I need to like get a plot of land and I come to you and you're like, well, I know all of the customers live in this town, but yeah, I'm going to have to charge you a thousand dollars a square foot for this, this store you want to build. And it's like every other town charges a hundred dollars a square foot. And it's like, nope, sorry, a thousand dollars a square foot. It's like, well, now either I'm not allowed to be in business <laughs> because you have willed it so <laughs> Or I have to completely rethink everything I'm doing, and it's kind of for an uncontrollable outside reason. Like, it's not government regulations, it's not the market doesn't want my product, right. or that I'm selling it at an unsustainable price. It's just this 
you know, overlord deciding how my business will be run. And it's, I mean, it's tricky because Apple's business is deciding how these other businesses on their platform will be run. They're the landowner, but it's like, at what size do you shift out of the realm of, we need to run a successful business, we being Apple, and you shift to like, now that we kind of own the entire continent, we need to act more benevolently and less in service of <laughs> the business. That's, I mean, it, you know, this, this is why they have corporate lawyers that are paid millions and millions of dollars. Well, and this is the salient point that uh, Apple doesn't have a majority. Um, I know you don't have to have 51% of a market to be in trouble for anti-competitive stuff, um, but they, they can always go, Android has way more market share, shut up. <laughs> Um, to regulators, and I, th- I don't know if that'll work forever because you know you can still get in trouble for being anti-competitive even if you don't have that majority. But I think that's the reason most people aren't getting crazy angry about it. They're like, ah, iPhones are like twenty or thirty percent, or I don't, I haven't even checked recently. And so these businesses have alternatives. Um, whether they're as good, you know, you, maybe there's a, hey, app, all of the profits go to Apple's platform, so they do have a monopoly and some other, I don't know how the legal definitions work. Um, and I, and I, I don't want to just sound like an apologist and be like, oh, Apple does what Apple wants. Sorry, deal with it. <laughs> like, I really sympathize with Spotify that um, 30% is a lot. Um, but I guess the context matters because I wonder how much of a cut selling software in stores what like i've I've read a number that like as much as fifty percent was just you know siphoned off to other parties, the store and other places, and so in a way, digital software is a lower cut than it used to be, yeah, and Spotify is definitely in a uniqueish position because not only are they in a low margin industry period, but they're in like the most volatile, contentious. Every single person involved in the chain is like grabbing for every dollar they can get. Like, no, uh, even the movie industry, like TV and film, I don't think is as cutthroat as music has become in the era of of streaming <laughs> services and post Napster and and the iPod and and MP3 players and things. Like, it, it's just yeah. it's totally gone to crap. I mean, you know way better than I do being a musician who's well, pe- like <laughs> people still pay for movies. I know it's it's also shrinking and maybe it's going to be just as insane as music before you know it, but people still pay for movies and no one wants to pay for music anymore. And so that's why the, you know, the dogs are hungry and they're getting they're starting to look at each other like uh, I might have to eat you. <laughs> yeah, it's the the next like I don't know. 10 to 20 years is going to be really interesting in the music scene to see like is there a downturn in the number of like live shows because only big huge famous bands can afford to do a live show or is there a super (laughs) uptick in tons of small like indie shows like what we we would have thought of as indie music now just becomes music because labels are like (laughs) finally defeated you know, it, it's <laughs> they've been starved to. Yeah, death. I mean, th- this is such a tumultuous time for the music industry because of companies exactly like Spotify. That <laughs> who knows what direction the the market will be going when it comes out of this, like you know, Hanna Barbera style cloud of dust and fists flying in every direction. <laughs> it's it could be 
way better, right? I mean, that's me being very sunshine and rainbows. That's not the most likely way for this to go, but it's it's not obvious that it's going to be a continuation of the status quo. In fact, the the status quo is already almost totally gone. Well, I mean, other people have covered this in much more detail elsewhere, but uh, the, the the fake scarcity of media is just like digital is just completely destroying that. And so it's, it's at the heart of all this. We've seen newspapers and now music and movies. Um, it's been taking a while for the Titanic to sink, but no one doubts that it's happening um, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, you just can't, the old business models of, uh, there's only one copy of that. Sorry. Like n- that no one, everyone just calls bullshit on that immediately. Yeah. It's the, the kid on the corner in, in high waist pants selling uh Kindles with the day's news on it. Just doesn't have the same, <laughs> doesn't have the same kind of vibe to it. <laughs> like buy a new Kindle every single day. <laughs> extra, extra, come buy a new Kindle. It comes in white now. <laughs> All right, yeah. I I think that's a that's a profound buying a new Kindle every day is a, a good profound thought to end it on. You ready to wrap it up? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. So we did that weird thing where we super overcompensated for the show notes uh, being frequently mentioned <laughs> by not mentioning them at all. So you can find the show notes for this episode as always at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash one two six for the hundred and twenty sixth episode of the show. Mike and I both love feedback. You can find us most easily on twitter i'm at lines in beta and mike you are at pseudo michael s-u-d-o michael but if you want to actually engage in maybe some ongoing conversation make it a little bit easier to connect with other listeners then you should check out our subreddit just reddit.com slash r slash flipping tables and there'll be a link to that in the show notes as well um, and if you want to uh, support the show a little bit, there's a few things you can do. You can subscribe, right? That makes it easier on you. That also drives it up in the the search results when there's more sub- people subscribe to the show. Uh, if you want to do something a little bit more uh, direct, but you don't want to spend any dollars, you can always leave us a rating and review in iTunes. Um, that's a huge help. That helps people find the show. That helps them know it's a quality show. Or if it's something terrible we're doing, that's useful feedback as well. Um, and then if you do want to go kind of that extra mile and, and pledge dollars, uh, we do have a Patreon. And depending on the level you support us at, uh, at patreon.com slash sunrise robot, we can maybe shout your name out at the end of Flipping Tables or at all of the shows at Sunrise Robot. So with that, I want to give a special thanks to Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, Benji Robinson, Apple Apologist Cunningham, Carolyn Kraut, Cliff Lyons, Ido Abramovich, Justin Edwards, and Joan Edwards. We love you. We could not do it without you. Hearts. <laughs> Floating out of week. week. <laughs> See you next week.